welcome to the Constructionist Podcast, hosted by Caleb. Just as we grow gardens and build buildings, God is building you through the renewing of your mind. The sufficiency of the scriptures is paramount in your journey, and every week, Caleb will challenge you to make them a central part of your life and worldview. Join us now as we explore the world through the ancient lens of God's word. Good morning or good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Constructionist Podcast, where we are not building buildings or roads or bridges, but we are building you into a strong and firm and planted person of God, ultimately, because that's what we are about. We are about understanding the scripture so we can have our mind renewed so that we can ultimately have the mind of Christ, which is exactly what we want to talk about today is this idea of having the mind of Christ. Let me read you a scripture. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, one thing we have to remember about reading the scriptures is that so much of it is about action or about doing the thing that you're doing. One of the prime examples of this is the parable that Jesus told of the two sons. And the father went to the one son and he said, son, I need you to go out and do ABC. And the son said, yes, I'll do that. But then he didn't actually do it. And then the father goes to the other son and says, son, I need you to do ABC. And the son says, no, I'm not going to do that. But then later he actually goes out and does it. And Jesus says to the crowd and he says to the Pharisees, which of the two sons actually obeyed the father? And they all said, well, the one that did it. And so what that demonstrates then in God's mind is that It may look like you're saying no, but if you actually go and do the thing, that is the obedient thing to do, is to actively do the thing. And so many of the parables of Jesus are about the ones that actually do the thing, who take on the task, who perform the right action and get that thing done. And the ones who don't are the ones who often... uh, Sometimes they suffer in in the various parables that Jesus tells. Now, we also see this sort of action thing in the very language of Hebrew. (coughs) Excuse me. Because Hebrew is a language that finds its basis in root verbs. So you may have a descriptive word or a noun or something like that in the Hebrew language, but they all come from what's called a shoresh, a Hebrew root verb. And so it's about the action of the thing. When animals are classified in the Hebrew mind, they're not classified by what they look like. It's not like a, uh, they look at a seahorse and call it a seahorse because it looks like a horse. It's not like a visual thing or a descriptive thing. It's about an action thing. And so they give things classifications based on what it is that they, that they do, not on how they look per se. So this is all wrapped up in sort of the, the worldview and the mind of the Old Testament and comes through in the New Testament. So when Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, he is talking about an act, 
an action aspect of your mind. What is your mind doing? What is your mind thinking about? How is your mind processing information? And this may be something that we don't consider very often is the element of the active mind. And so we tend to be, as Westerners, uh, we have this strange concept of when the weekend hits, we want to recharge by unplugging. So we're like, I just want to go home and unplug. But if you unplug, you're not able to charge up. Nobody, nobody you know, sits there and looks at their phone and says, oh man, I'm down to 10%, I better unplug so I can recharge. That doesn't make any sense. You have to plug in, which means there's an active input of electrons into the battery of the phone or the device or whatever it is that charges it up. And so the active inputting is what creates the active outputting, your phone calls and your text messages and your app usage and whatever. So you see how that works? The inputting is not glorious. The inputting is plugging the stupid phone to the charger cable, plugging it into the wall, and then leaving it there. And actually walking away from it for a while, and or while you're asleep or whatever, and letting this do its thing. It's not, it's not anything that's glamorous or glorious or anything like that, but it is a absolutely necessary aspect to having the phone be functional throughout the day and being able to use it to its full potential. We are actually no different. Our recharging is done when we actively engage with the scriptures. And when we're engaging with the scriptures, that is when God actually fills us, charges us charges us up. And then when we live out the very things that we are inputting into our mind, when we actively choose to live those things out, it makes us that much more... Um, Useful, that much more abundantly practical to God and God's ways of wanting to use us on an everyday basis. So what we want to talk about today is what to think about before you start thinking or what to think about before you think. <clears throat> now that's kind of an odd statement to make because you're thinking, well, I'm already thinking. Why do I need to think about my thinking? But we do need to think about our thinking because if we don't think about our thinking, we may end up with wrong thinking. So it's called assuming and we all know what assuming does. But assuming is uh, when you are thinking and you think that your thinking is correct, but it's not because you made an assumption and your assumption was incorrect uh, because the boss showed up or you got the right paperwork or you got, to the, you got the right bit of information that corrected your thinking. And so now your assumptions aren't assumptions. They're based on fact you know what to think about the situation. So, for instance, uh, and I've used this illustration before, I'm an electrician by trade. And so if I walk into a job site and a building's going up, I don't assume anything. Everything I do in that building has to be backed up by something, either the blueprints or the electrical code by which I'm accountable to or the authority having jurisdiction, which is the city inspector or the contractor or the owner. There's multiple people above me that have to dictate what it is that I do, all the way down to like putting a strap on a piece of pipe. The code book tells me how to or where to put certain straps. 
if I have a question about where something goes or how something should be run, I'm told by the contractor how to do it. If I have a question about the placement of things, I go look at the plans and see what it is that needs to go where. And then that dictates the size of my wire, the size of my pipe and all that kind of thing. So much stuff is dictated by somebody else. And I can literally build an entire building and never make an assumption about almost anything. It's all planned out in advance, one way or another. Like I said, by the electric code, by the city inspector, by the contractor, or by the owner themselves. So that's how it operates. I don't have to make any assumptions. I just know. And if I know, great. If I don't know, I go to somebody who does. So it's the same thing for us in our thinking. If we are to have the mind of Christ, we, in one sense, don't need to assume anything. Everything that we do are things that we can fall back on something. We fall back on scripture we, is the primary thing that we fall back on. And we will fall back on our conscience and God's spirit speaking to us into our conscience. We fall back on the wisdom of those who have gone before us already down that road. We fall back on the fellowship that we have with other believers and how they are dealing with the same situation. We fall back on prayer and prayer that is informed by scripture and informed by those who have gone before us, who have walked according to uh, the obedience to God. So there's a number of things that we do. We are never an island all on our own. We do not have the freedom to lock ourselves away. It says actually in Proverbs that someone who... um, basically sort of locks himself away, rages against sound wisdom. Uh, they, they, they end up messing themselves up. You can actually very rapidly mess yourself up by not associating with anything else, thinking that you are a law unto yourself. So when you think about what to think about before you do your thinking, you have to take these things into account. There are presuppositions that we must have in place. There is a... Uh, some things that have to be assumed in ad, or a, a presupposed, you suppose in advance. So one of them uh, is this idea of God. When you read the scriptures, when you go out to live your life, you have to recognize that there is God. Now that's basically going to the very top. I'm starting at the highest possible point. And when you start up there at the highest possible point and recognize there's a God, there is God, then the next thing you have to realize is how now do I define that God? Because it has been stated in the past, and it's a true statement, that we become what we worship. And that is a reality if you read through the scriptures and see what the nations around Israel worshipped and then what caused them to become as they are. And the history of the world, if you look into societies that existed and function without a primary influence from the gospel. They are nations that are filled with fear and darkness and uh, uncertainty and distrust and uh, never knowing how their never knowing how their life is gonna gonna turn out or or where they're gonna end up in the afterlife or anything like that. So there's there's a lot of fear that is prevalent in societies that don't have uh, the gospel as a guiding force. Now, in the West, with Europe and America and Australia and Canada, New Zealand, these kind of countries, um, 
they have had an influence of the gospel from the Reformation and up until the modern day, we've had various revivals, great awakenings, things like that that have taken place in different areas around the world. And they've influenced society uh, without society really realizing right now that they're functioning kind of on the hangover of a, of a Judeo-Christian worldview. That is very much how many of our societies have been structured in the last 200 years. But society as a whole is falling away from that. And there's actually an element of the church that's walking away from that as well. And there's an element of the church that's beginning to function in, a, in an environment or a mindset of don't trust people who think they have, the, who think they know the ultimate truth. Don't trust people who think they can come with a certain answer to your question and your dilemma and things like that. They want you to live in doubt. Because when you live in doubt, then there's always a certain amount of fear that comes along with that and then you're, you're never quite sure of where you are what you're doing how you should go forward and it stunts you so the reality is when you read the scriptures if you take in the whole of scriptures it says verse one in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and when god created the heavens and the earth he actually instilled within the heavens and the earth a creational law, a functioning natural law that the earth and the universe functions by. The earth goes around the sun, it stays at a certain distance, there's things like gravity, and there's things like matter, there's things like atomic weight, and there's things like physics that actually dictate how the universe ticks along as it does. But then there's also a moral law that has been put into place. And this moral law dictates how relationships are developed and formed about the kind of people that you interact with, about how communities should work together and how an individual should respond to community and a community individual. It dictates a lot of those kind of um, interpersonal and interrelational elements. And if we begin to ignore much of that moral law, which is really sort of codified in the Ten Commandments, a chunk of it's codified in the Ten Commandments. If we ignore that and live a life of trying to do our own thing or wanting to just live as our own authority, then society will begin to break down because there's what's called lawlessness. And if lawlessness increases, then the love of many will grow cold. And then when you have a lack of love, you have a lack of... um, care and compassion toward anyone else around you. So it's this trickle-down effect that happens. One automatically follows the other if, if you ignore, just like you ignore physical laws, you'll end up crashing your car and you're dead. You'll end up making some terrible decision that'll mess you up for the rest of your life. Something along those lines. If you ignore moral law, the same thing happens. You actually will have a degradation of your emotional well-being, your mental well-being, and you'll end up uh, living in an insane asylum or something like that. So you cannot ignore these things. Now, to start thinking before you think, you have to recognize there is God. God is defined by what is stated in Scripture. The Scripture is our definition of who God is. It's also our definition of who we are as individuals and who we are as society as a whole. And so the Bible is pretty clear on how we relate to God. It says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living soul or a living being. And so we have an animation within us 
that comes directly from God. So that links us to God in a way that animals and the rest of creation is not linked to God. It was created by God, but it's not linked to God in that sense. So when the Bible talks about humans having a soul, the Bible also talks about God having a soul. When the Bible talks about humans having uh, freedom to choose and freedom of will, the Bible, God also has the same thing. But we are confined as individuals within a world of moral law and physical law. God is the embodiment of moral law and ultimately physical law, I guess you could say as well. But he supersedes all that thing. Uh, it says in Isaiah that he inhabits eternity. And so we don't quite understand how he functions uh, on a practical level, but we do know that he is the embodiment of love and justice and wrath and mercy and grace and all these things. He embodies all of that. And so uh, he is the highest possible being, entity, thing that we can ever put our mind and our attention to. So we begin with that. What we think about before we think is that there is God and God is creator. And as creator, I am ultimately accountable to him because he is a personal God who can communicate to me. And I am a personal person who can actually understand that communication and respond to it. And so these are things that have to be recognized uh, and thought about before we do our thinking. And so it trickles down then from that and we find that Jesus now is the embodiment of God. It says in the scriptures that in him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. So Jesus now becomes this, this person that has the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in him and being lived out through him. So we can look at Jesus and see how did Jesus interact with people? How did he function in a society that he lived in in his day? Because ultimately people are still people. And I've traveled to a number of countries around the world, all through Latin America, Africa. I've been to Asia a number of times, all up and down across America in the UK. I've watched and seen people in a number of societies and levels of uh, social status and uh, physical geographical location and cultures and all that. And I'll tell you right now, people are people. And every country that I've been to, everyone complains about taxes and about the government. Everyone complains about cultures that they don't understand. Everybody complains about um, just the same thing. People are people. Everyone smiles when they're happy. Everybody cries when they're sad. It doesn't matter where you are or what nation or what language you speak. Humans are humans, and it's, and it's that way across the board. And so the Bible transcends all humanity, and God came in the person of Jesus Christ to interact with humanity and to function among us so that we can see how that works. And so to think before you think... This was nothing but a tiny little snippet. Think about God and who he is. Read the book of Isaiah. Read the book of uh, the last three chapters, four chapters of the book of Job. See the gospels, who Jesus is, how he interacts with people. And you'll begin to start developing a mindset of 
what you should have there before you begin to think. And then your thinking will determine your actions. Read your scripture, invest it into your mind and into your heart, and God will begin walking with you through life and you'll discover the peace and the joy and the, the, the structure that you need in order to have a life of uh, blessing, you could say. God bless you. Have a good day. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.